It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom here on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. The Vikings start OTAs. Luke Braun and I have some major takeaways. I'm Luke Braun of Lockdown Vikings and Arif Hassan Big Time Des. Unacceptable. We'll let him hear it <laughs> coming up on today's Minnesota football party. Lockdown Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota Football Party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings' Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota Football Party. And it starts now. It's a brand new week on the Minnesota Football Party. Welcome in. I'm Sam Ekstrom. I'm on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom, covering the Vikings here for Locked On Sports Minnesota, as does Luke Braun. He's the Locked On Vikings host. He's at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter, and he joins us today. It's a two man show. Arif Hassan at the owners' meetings, quote unquote. We'll see if that's legit. I don't. I don't know if he's if he's telling the truth on that one, but I uh, know he probably is. Pro Football Network. Uh, where you can find his work. Luke Edmond will rejoin tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. So, Bron, it's just you and me talking OTAs, talking about the new kickoff proposal, talking about NFC North burning questions. What could be better on a Monday morning? Yeah, OTAs is always a really exciting time. We get to finally see... Uh... This is this is when we get to see like every day the Vikings will put out a nice time ramped video of highlights of all of our favorite new players running around in shorts. Um, the slow motion video dissection is one of my favorite spring traditions when the Vikings put it's out great. the one minute recap and then you people you know are pointing out Zapruder like details oh, yeah. of who's in the background, who's with the twos. Who's with the threes? <laughs> and usually the good stuff comes on the days that aren't open to the media where the Vikings may or may not be playing some games with us. It's the the, the usually the other two days where you get the good material. Yeah, this is going to be our first one without uh, good old Chris Thomason, who would always have the depth charts out immediately. He would go like, these are here's your ones, here's your twos, here's your threes. Now we're going to have to fend for ourselves. My, my favorite two OTA tropes. Um, one is the like slow motion wide receiver highlight comes out and people will like be really, really adamant that it looks amazing or terrible, but it's like sped up and slowed down so much. It's like, man, that break, like somebody actually tried to tell me that about a Jordan Addison video. Like that break <laughs> looks terrible. It's like that's in slow motion, dude. Of course it looks slow. 
they slowed it down. <laughs> yeah, and but, then the other one is just yeah. trying to figure out who is with the first team, who's with the second team, and everybody. The uh, the the classic, you know, they'll show a highlight of an interception, and everybody will be like, "Oh my god, what quarterback threw that? We're so doomed." It's like, it was just an interception. Calm down. It's OTA. <laughs> and a lot of that footage is coming from like individual drills too. It's not even 11s. Like it might be like a, sevens, maybe whatever, it's a yeah. wide receiver versus cornerback one-on-one, but very little of that footage is, uh, is real football being played. Comment below in the, in, on, on YouTube. What is your favorite OTA tradition? Luke and I will try to hype you up about Vikings OTAs, which start this week. Uh, today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more at FanDuel.com slash Locked On, where you can get started. What would genuinely excite you, Luke, about OTAs? Not not fake excitement, but real excitement. What report might you hear or footage might you see or quote might come out of a press conference that would actually fire you up about Vikings OTAs. I'm I always get decently fired up about Vikings OTAs. I think the finally getting some clarity on the depth chart makes everything so much easier to talk about, but it's also just like very fun to see like, oh wow, like so and so is with the like what if Ivan Pace was with the twos? That would be crazy cool, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And um, it could happen easily. It could. I, I think it, starting with the twos would be astounding, but what we see a lot of the time with those battles is somebody will start with the, the like they'll have Jordan Addison start with the twos, right? Just cause always they'll have Jefferson and Osborne and maybe even like Naylor start. And then they'll have Jordan Addison start with the twos, just like as a formality. And then when you get to actual camp, it has sort of sorted itself out provided Addison has earned that and he's not going full treadwell. Um, but Anytime, yeah, you see like a surprising depth chart thing, mm-hmm. not necessarily because it bodes well or poorly for the Vikings. Like at this point, it's just kind of the cream rising to the top and it's more about individual versus individual. Ostensibly, whatever happens bodes best for the Vikings. They're choosing who they want to be where, right? Um, but the the individual versus individual, the, the storylines and all that stuff, that gets me really jazzed. Yeah. Sometimes there's like one guy that they clearly are fast-tracking and have just blinders on for a certain role. Like Cam Bynum, I remember, practice number one. He was taking reps with the twos at safety. Like there was no there was no question that they were converting him from corner mm. to safety, and they threw him right in there. And I think he was maybe even the first guy to spell Harrison Smith because Harrison Smith's not taking all the reps in OTAs. And Bynum was in there. Like they were just fast tracking him to get him ready for that role. Um, Ed Ingram, I think, was was elevated fairly early on. Like Jesse Davis was the seat, the the bench warmer. Um, but Ingram, yeah, was, he, was he was splitting reps by like week by like week yeah. one of real camp. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm curious too. Like you mentioned the Addison thing. I agree with you. They probably won't throw him in right away. I think they should throw him in sooner than later. There's no need to hold back a guy from the ones who I think is pretty transparently going to have a big role with that group this year. But who do you think gets the courtesy nod as the wide receiver three, like for practice number one? It it could be Addison. Um, But if it's not Addison, 
my guess would actually be Naylor, the way that they've talked about him all offseason. Even though mm-hmm. Jalen Rager was ahead of him on the depth chart last year, something tells me that Jalen Naylor is going to be a little bit more, he's going to get a little bit more love from the the staff than I think we're we're all anticipating. Yeah, it, yeah, Rager, that would be the like literally a courtesy nod that doesn't tell us any information because he's so clearly not going to be part of this passing game, I don't think. I think if it's Naylor, I think that's actually informative to how they they view him. And sure. I think it's too, like the default state is Rager above Naylor. And then if mm-hmm. Naylor ever starts getting reps above Rager, then we go, oh, that might mean something. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a certain status quo, I think, that we all have in our mind. Mm-hmm. And then there's certain things that that could shake it up. Like if we are seeing a right guard rotation um, with the ones, I think that would be pretty interesting. If Ed Ingram is rotating with Chris Reed. Um, I would be or very surprised Morgan. to see that. I I would as well. I would as well. I also think we're like potentially one year away from a major interior offensive line shakeup. Cleveland could be toast. Bradbury's contract is set up to get out after one year. And Ingram, if he has two bad years, would be toast. Like all three of them, I think, are playing for their spot next year. Probably least of them. Bradbury, most of them, um, Ingram and Cleveland could be playing for another contract another, with another team. Right. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I think they're really banking on the cohesion of that group, and that's what they've said. We brought everybody back. We know the plays. We we've got the communication down, and they're not going to mess with that by putting someone else in that Ed, Ed, Ed Ingram spot if Ingram is the you know eighty percent favorite to win that job. So I. I, I agree that this, it would be a surprise to see yeah, anything and, on the offensive line. And I don't think anybody in the room is going to be able, like, a, I, I think there is some at a, like a, an a only formal level. There is some, some level of competition where like, yeah, Chris Reed could beat out Ed Ingram and surprise us all and play the job, get the job. If he does better in camp. It's kind of, but there's a status quo and there's this kind of uphill battle where if those Mm -hmm. two guys do about the same, it's Ed Ingram. If Chris Reed is better, but only a little, you go, yeah, but he was against the twos and it's, and it's Ingram. If Chris Reed is a lot better then we start thinking about it. Um, But that's kind of like what it takes. And I, I just, I don't, I don't think Chris Reed can do that. I don't think he can go, go blow out Ed Ingram in camp such that he actually forces the Vikings to make that kind of decision. Um, and I think the coaches like Ed Ingram a lot more than the fans do, like a lot more than the fans do. That, that seems pretty clear. I'm not anticipating anyone with an injury concern to be active this week at all. I don't think if, even if someone is close, like Lewis seen, Lewis seen is not going to be active. I don't think, um, even though he's running full speed, I, I just think that the way they operate around here now. You're not going to see Booth. You're not going to see that scene. would excite me. You if want you something that Booth? would get me hype? Scene. Scene. If Scene yeah. gets in there and is participating in OTAs, because you're right, he absolutely doesn't have to. And and there, if he is, that means there is absolutely no risk, and he is fully 100 percent ready to go again. And this is behind mm-hmm. him. Who? Yeah, that would be hype. Yeah, O'Neal. I think probably is a is no bueno. I mean, I think he'll probably be back for training camp. I would guess he's still nursing that mm-hmm. avulsion fracture. Who else 
Is there anybody else that has a lingering injury concern that we know of? There's often one or two surprises, and that's another thing to, to watch yeah. and listen for. There will be someone on the rehab field that you you didn't you had no idea that they were going through something. Um, hopefully not. But is there anyone I'm forgetting? That's obvious. Nobody is coming to mind, but I might be forgetting too. I assume Evans is full go. I don't think Evans um, yeah. has anything. He he said he was cleared late last season. Um, so there's and they kind of chose to pump the brakes. Maybe he mm-hmm. could have played in the playoffs, but I think they were you know ultra sensitive to three concussions in a season. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. which they'll yeah. have to be for like he'll have to be for the rest of his career. And that's yeah, yeah, that, that's that's going to follow him for sure for for a yeah. long time. Um, um, rotations at corner do- though. Go ahead. Dark Horse Dwayne McBride, maybe? He he had a hamstring that he couldn't test for. He should be past that. Like, hamstring doesn't tend to linger like that bad. Like, that's months. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I I would guess that a rookie would be probably more likely to, you know, especially a rookie in his spot, probably more likely to try to put it out there on the field and do something. And you know what? These are these are barely full-speed practices, too. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think there's a, there's a gigantic risk of tweaks because they treat, I, I've observed, they treat a lot of these OTAs like walkthroughs. Mm-hmm. It's not nearly as exciting as the Zimmer era. And even in the Zimmer era, stuff was dialing back. But there was an, there was an occasional spirited Zimmer practice where you're actually pretty pretty entertained watching it. Um, and they had a lot of veterans on those later teams, and, and they all showed up. Like People actually wanted to work and practice, and Zimmer encouraged that. And Zimmer always kind of poo-pooed the notion that we needed to 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 nurse these guys during the offseason. That's not the way it is anymore. It's boring football. It's boring practice football. A lot of the work goes on in the meeting room, and we don't get to see it. That's just the way things go um, nowadays. Mm-hmm. So don't expect any bombshell highlights like 11-on-11. There's not going to be hitting. Oh, you'll have um, some fun one-on-one catches or whatever, though. Yeah, yeah. Seven-on-sevens might provide a little bit of a thrill. Maybe mm-hmm. Addison Burns. Uh, Makai Blackman in a rematch of their USC practices, but I am looking forward to seeing the cornerback rotation. I would expect different stuff every day. Like Jay Ward's going to be in a different spot. Um, Evans and, uh, and Blackman, you know, Williams might even get the veteran courtesy nod there in that rotation. We'll see, but I, I would love to get confirmation from the coaching staff. And that's a question I'll, I'll contemplate asking is, is this a, a wide open competition in your, in your mind to see if they say, yes, it is. Or if they kind of lean on, well, we're really excited about a Caleb and Andrew. I'd like to get mm. that on record to see yeah. how they're, they're entering this practice period. Yeah, that would be very interesting. I'm also curious to see exactly what they do with uh, Jay Ward. You know, when I watched the, what he did at LSU, his job was just as I call it the apex. Some people call it the star. I think here, they, I think at the Vikings, they call it just call it the nickel, but it's not like slot corner. It's it's just kind of sometimes the nickel ends up sliding into the box if there's only one guy on that side or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think that's what they'll do, but they could like he'll he'll rotate to safety. Sometimes they would put him like they'll rotate him all around. I'm really curious to see what they do in particular with Jay Ward. Yeah. And then just like how the corners line up. I actually, yeah. It, I think it might make people freak out a little bit, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Juwan Williams actually higher up the depth chart than maybe we think just because, hey, 
young guys that haven't proven anything. You got to prove something. Go beat Jawan Williams, right? It, yeah. That shouldn't be, you know, if, if you're a starter, the guy that the Patriots almost cut at the end of camp shouldn't be a challenge for you to go beat. Um, but also, like last year, OTAs were not really a competitive moment at all it was install 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 and and kevin o'connell was like public about it. he was like we're not really evaluating and i told the players we're not really evaluating this is be comfortable be you know just learn this is a place where you can learn you can make mistakes we're not going to kill yep. you for it because we're all just learning all this new stuff so i i wonder if maybe they go a, a little faster great point really great point and kirk cousins talked about how he was having a hard time even calling plays early right. last year because of the he had gotten it like two days ago yeah mm -hmm. yeah no for sure and and i know they have to there are so many rookies still that they have to cater to a little bit they can't completely leave them in the dust um always. There, there's always like and and probably frustrating for veteran players this is why they hate practicing in the off seasons is because it is like coddling some younger players along and literally starting from square one and then building it up and for a lot of guys, it's probably an eye roll to have to do that, like a Harrison Smith. Um, but you have to go through those paces because that's the the core of the team are the young guys who have to learn this stuff. I um I have one more question for you defensively. We we speak a lot, like very idealistically, about players being wild cards or jokers, like, oh, this is a this is a guy they can use in all sorts of different spots. He can be a nickel, he can be in the box. He can be a safety. And pretty frequently, we don't see that. Like the only really creative use of a of a defensive back that the Vikings have used in the last few years is J. Ron Curse being a big nickel, right? Like Harrison Smith moves around. Great. That's like a very special player. But more often than not, they kind of settle into a role and they play it, right? The, like the, there isn't a lot of mixing and matching guys moving all, all over the place. With uh with Ward with scene with Asamoah, I think you have a couple of those cliched players that people assume can do all these different things. Do you think Brian Flores is the kind of guy that will use guys more creatively than we've seen? I think it could potentially come across as more creative than it actually is. But for Flores, part of the draw of that defense is how much it's just line up on, on a guy and cover him. And I don't care if that means you're getting called a big nickel. I don't care if that means you're getting called a linebacker because you end up on a tight end uh, and, and you know, the tight ends in line. So you end up in the box. So we, we, we chart that one as a linebacker snap, you know, mm -hmm. um, and it, and it might look a little bit creative, but I think everybody will do a little bit of man coverage. Everybody will do a little bit of blitzing. Everybody will be, I think everybody has to be in the run fit a little bit. I, I think that the Flores way requires even outside corners to eventually fill into the run. Um, I might be wrong about that though. Uh, yeah. So I, I think it's, it's almost like a little bit position agnostic where I don't know, put whatever label you want to on that rep. He's covering the mm -hmm. guy that they think he should be covering. And it's more about a matchup thing. Yeah. Um. Like with Jay Ward, you know, they they've made so much about his versatility, <laughs> and and I really think some of that is he's playing in the same role in the defense like a lot of the time. That but LSU was just aligning him away a little bit different. They did a lot of, the, of they did some of the stuff that was similar, to like the Fangio stuff we did last year, 
where or what what the Fangio stuff is supposed to look like, where you're kind of in the same role a lot, but you just get there from different alignments so that it makes it harder for quarterbacks to figure out. And then you go, oh, wow, what a great rep as a linebacker. What a great rep as a nickel. What a great rep as a safety. Um, but yeah, I mean, he can, you can rotate it around too, where you'll call like an invert coverage where, mm-hmm. you know, Lewisine will come down into the box and Jay Ward who lined up at nickel will back off and suddenly be the free safety. You won't call that every rep or anything, but that'll be something you can do as kind of a subversion. Maybe you can get a young quarterback to make a mistake. If you're going up against somebody you don't think can read that. Um, yeah, so you, you can do all of that stuff, but. I think that's just like, it, it's just going to be in the nature of Brian Flores's defense that everybody's going to move around a little bit. And if you look at that by like how many snap counts got charted here or there, it might look like, wow, look at all this versatility. Everybody's doing a, so much of everything. That's one thing. Uh, but it's really a lot of doing the same stuff. And it just depends on if your alignment was, I don't know, inside the hashes or outside the hashes. <laughs> yeah. And depending on who's charting it and how they're charting it and stuff. Well, well stated. Well stated. I, I believe the Vikings too when they say they don't know what they're going to do with Jay Ward. They don't. So they're going to have to yeah, experiment They're just going to figure it out. Yeah. And figure it out. So th- it might seem really exciting early on because, oh, he is in these different spots. I think they're just trying to figure out what he does well. And I would caution people too to, to expect an overly high amount of complexity on a crazy young defense and unproven and bad defense from last year um, that, that they're just going to like miraculously all like have these versatile wildcard roles. Like, I think you kind of have to master one thing first and maybe that the complexity comes later. We saw that with Zimmer's defense too. Uh, the defense is going through kind of what the offense did last year. They are going to be the ones and, and, and Braun, this might be what prevents them from going fast in, in this in this OTA period is the defense does have to kind of relearn. Uh, whereas the offense might be smoking them. Uh, the defense is going to need to slow things down, I think, to really understand what Flores wants, because this is not going from Stefanski to Kubiak, right? Like this is a more dramatic no. change defensively uh, than from Donatel to Flores. No, it, it would be smoother to go from like Zimmer to this. Um, and hopefully, you know, guys that have been around the, the Harrison Smiths and Daniel Hunters, uh, that were around for all the Zimmer stuff. It's a lot of the same lingo and terminology, uh, that is easy enough to get used to. And a lot of the same coverage calls and stuff, but yeah, for people like seen in booth who learned under Donatel their first year and then have to go back into it seen who was at Georgia might have an easier time than somebody like booth. They didn't really run this at Clemson. Uh, or they they didn't really use that kind of stuff at Clemson, so yeah, that that might be a, a, a reason why things go a little slower. And the other thing I should mention when we talk about these DBs, don't evaluate them in OTAs, especially in one on one and seven on seven, because corners, secondary defense in general, at a huge disadvantage. You know, imagine how hard things would be on the cornerbacks if the defensive line didn't win a single rep for an entire game. No pressures, no sacks. Imagine how hard things would be. On and the you secondary. had no help. You had, no, you had help. no help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With the one-on-one and you have no help. Um, really what you're looking for defensively with seven on seven is did people pass things off correctly and stuff? That's what the coaches are using it for. Um, and then obviously, you know, ball comes your way. Go make a play. We'll, we'll go do your best. 
uh, but it's I don't think it's the best evaluative tool. Whereas like O line, D line, one on ones can be a little bit better of an evaluative tool. Um, mm-hmm. Where it, it is like O line does get help, but giving O line help is like kind of a costly thing. Where you have to right, we got he's struggling. We got to slide the protection over his way. So the ability to win without any help is easier to expect from an O-lineman and also more important to expect from an O-lineman. So those one-on-ones can still be kind of helpful. And sometimes they are run with like, you know, they'll have somebody kind of pass that there, not actually help, but like be in the way, the way they're supposed to be and stuff. So that can be a better tool. But if you see Jalen Naylor totally dunk on Makai Blackman and OTAs, don't freak out. Don't freak out about anything in OTAs. Actually, that's a good rule. Never don't just don't unless somebody gets hurt. Like don't freak out about anything in OTAs. It's just it's just OTAs. It's we can chill. Go more your the, those nice one on ones. Uh, and hey, if you want to freak out, I fully endorse it. Let's. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine with it. Inside but you, there are two wolves. <laughs> it's. Uh, I, I've I've come to. You got to find excitement somewhere it's a long summer so if you want to freak out over otas and have big opinions by all means do it luke braun will bring you back to earth but if you want to be up in the clouds that's totally fine um i love i love wide receiver cornerback one-on-ones and i think it can be informative for the wide receiver more so than the cornerback because you, you can often kind of watch the cream rise to the top like if these guys are making tough catches in a contested situation How's their footwork? Um, are they winning with ease? Or are they struggling to separate? Um, how are they at tracking the ball? I think all of that is very informative for the wide receiver. And it is, they they have the advantage, certainly. So if they're losing on a regular basis, that is also informative to say, oh, okay, this that's a problem. You should be winning these like three out of four, four out of five um, in those situations. So that's something we'll be watching for as well. How about some Josh Oliver talk? We haven't talked enough about Josh Oliver after I tell you that today is brought to you by FanDuel, FanDuel Sportsbook. It's a fast break in the NBA playoffs right now, and uh, the Heat are basically uncontested in that uh, Celtics series. The Nuggets, they are mopping the floor with Luke Braun's L.A. Lakers. And it's uh, like, no, no, no. I'm a Clippers fan. Ah, I'm sorry. Don't you dare put the Lakers on me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You can wager on those games. Will there be a sweep? I think the Lakers are favored to win game four. Can they avoid elimination? You can bet that at FanDuel.com slash locked on and get the no sweat first bet. If you're a new customer up to $1,000 back in bonus bets, if your first bet doesn't win, they've got awesome promotions at FanDuel, including a current bet five, get 150 for your first bet as well. Uh, paid instantly when you win. Easy to use FanDuel Sportsbook app. FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more about that no sweat first bet. And you can bet on the playoffs at FanDuel. It's an official sports betting partner of the NBA. We haven't done this segment in a while. Uh, We've only got two of us, so it's more of a two-minute drill. But we like to call it the four-minute drill. Start the clock. It's time to execute the four-minute drill. If you want to take two minutes each, I guess we could make it four minutes, Bron. Two plus two equals four. Josh Oliver, big signing in the offseason, very little hype. I think that's what happens when you sign a blocking tight end. Nobody talks about them. Sure. 
But now that you've got this fancy new weapon in Jordan Addison, I think it muddies the waters about what Josh Oliver actually is going to represent to this offense. What do you think his role is going to be, Luke Braun? You're on the clock in the four-minute drill. Yeah, I think I saw a PFF article that said, he, well, they they signed Josh Oliver to replace TJ Hawkinson, whose contract is <laughs> like very Yeah, clearly. I saw that too. Hilarious. <laughs> like what? <laughs> um, no, so his, his uh, role is going to be as I, I don't know what letters they use for what I'm going to call it like the F um, and, and it's a, a kind of tight end. You see it a lot in 12 personnel um, where that is going to be a lead blocker. A lot of the time, I think that the Vikings are going to do Shanahan stuff. The second they signed Josh Oliver and then like a week later, they extended CJ ham. It's like, okay, they're into this kind of like skill player blocker type, uh, thing they Kevin O'Connell's talked a ton about how they want to fix the run game. This seems to be their plan to do it. Um, last year when they did their run game, it was a zone duo mix, and that was basically it. They had like four run plays, and they didn't really install a lot of subversions on that uh, because really they were just doing it to set up play action. That's all they really needed out of the run. So they didn't really pay attention to the run. They didn't try to get it going. They didn't really try to figure out how to get around the way that other teams were playing them in the run. They really just needed to run it enough to keep the defense honest so they could do a play action play. I think it's going to be a lot more serious and it's going to be Josh Oliver as a lead blocker. Sometimes instead of CJ Ham as a lead blocker, maybe you do 21, 12 personnel, depending on how the other team is going to respond to those things. Maybe with Josh Oliver out there, they have a big uh, nickel type safety that they like, but with CJ Ham out there, they've got a linebacker that they like. And maybe you'll use CJ Ham more in that game because you want that linebacker on the field to throw against. And then maybe in another game, you want Josh Oliver because you really like throwing against that big nickel. You don't think he's very good. And maybe sometimes you'll do both. You'll have CJ Ham and Josh Oliver and a 21 personnel and you send TJ Hawkinson to the sideline for a run rep. Um, having that versatility and being able to rotate all those guys around, you're going to kind of see all of these skill players drop their snap counts a little bit. Um, but that's going to give them a wider uh, range of tools. Beautiful. I think that's a great look into schematically how they're going to use him. And I, I kind of broke down for my two minutes, just in terms of workload, how often I think he's going to be on the field because you've got these two, the, the angel and the devil on the shoulder, right? If you're O'Connell, right? You've got the Rams influence and then you've got the Shanahan side, which it seems like he wants to be, but then there's Jordan Addison complicating matters. So if you look at the true two tight end offenses, so Josh Oliver's previous offense in Baltimore, where it was Andrews and then Oliver, a lot of very run heavy. Um, Oliver was on the field 47% of the time last year. That very much tracks with how the 49ers used their second tight end. And that was more of a rotation between, you know, Ross Dwelly and Charlie Warner and Tyler Croft, but 45 to 50% for that second tight end. Um, the Rams, when they won the Super Bowl, they were using Kendall Blanton like 15% of the time. Like, so I don't think it's going to be 45%. I mean, they, they got to have a third wide receiver on the field. If, if Jordan Addison is as advertised, he's going to work his way into this. It's not going to be 15%. They're obviously going to commit to the run more. I think that if you split the difference, I could see Oliver being on the field about 33% of the time. Um, I'm putting him on 
a Johnny Munt type receiving season, about 20 receptions, which would be a career high. Josh Oliver, this is this is a guy that does not catch the football. Um, but I think they'll they'll scheme stuff up for him. They'll disguise run looks, and then suddenly he's running a route that looks the exact same, but it's a it's a play action. Um, I think they're gonna use him. I just think that they're this is not gonna be full Niners. It's not gonna be full 45% like every other play. Josh Oliver's out there. I I just I think that Jordan Addison does take precedent over Josh Oliver if you're choosing between the two. Thoughts on that? Uh yeah, I I think you're probably not choosing between like I don't want to think about it as a choosing between the two. I get that there's a zero, so there's only so many snaps to go around. You get five skill players, somebody's got to go. Um, but it's definitely going to be like a ratio of things. Let me ask you this. If you added Josh Oliver's snap count plus CJ Ham's snap count, like the amount of reps mm-hmm. with at least one of those guys on the field. And then if they're both on the field, only count it as one. Uh, where do you, do you think that would get up to somewhere closer to like 40, 45? I kind of feel like Ham will, will steal reps from Oliver or well, or steal reps yeah. from Hawkinson. Maybe Hawkinson yeah, game- honestly is, is the one who leaves the field for those more transparent rundowns. Right. For third and one or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. just get your guys out there, um, which is fine. And and not to say that Hawkinson is like a move tight end or anything. He's a, he's a good blocker too. Um, but yeah, you would do that or you'd have, you know, screw it. Like 23, like just get three tight ends out there and, <laughs> and the mm-hmm. CJ ham, just get at like, get out there. Maybe just, you know, 22, get one, uh, wide receiver out there. I remember, one of the Zimmer years, they would have they had a twenty two package where they would put like wide receiver five out there, like it was I f- like Chad Beebe was the only and you'd send Diggs and Thielen and everybody to the sideline, <laughs> uh, or I think it was yeah. the post Diggs, so it would have been like Jefferson and Thielen, and everybody goes to the sideline and you got Chad Beebe out there. That doesn't mean Chad Beebe is like above of them on the depth chart in this case. It's just the way the rotation works. Um, but it's kind of like a greater than the sum of its parts thing. Like that, I had a bunch of conversations about like, well, you know, they spent this much on this player. How many snaps do they need to really feel like they got their value out of that? And it's, I think it's less about the volume of snaps and more about like, what problem is Josh Oliver solving? However, often that problem comes up. You can't really predict. It's, it's like saying, mm-hmm. did I get my money's worth out of my insurance? Like you didn't know if something was going to happen. Um, but it might be it's, too it's a week role. to week. Yeah. Might be week yeah. to week. Game, like game some, plan to game there, plan for sure. There are some weeks where, I, especially with Zimmer, this is a ham game. The Vikings are going to go ham. They're going to have mm-hmm. 35 ham snaps. Um, and there might be weeks too where they say, okay, let's, let's put Hawkinson in the slot. Let's put Oliver in line. And we'll have Jefferson and Addison on the boundaries. And they'll have the two tight ends. They'll have the two receivers. And, um, you know, running back to Jor in the backfield. There are, it, you're right. There probably are more creative ways to look at it than simply exchanging the second tight end for the third wide receiver. Um, that is not like gospel. Maybe they'll go empty, have all five of them. I don't know, but um, I think Josh Oliver's role is another exciting bit of the the OTA minicamp program to see what exactly they're doing with him and what looks they're showing with him on the field. Is he always in line? Um, Is he accompanied by a fullback and how often? 
that he he is a very compelling piece of this offense to me because of the investment in him um, and how it jibes with this first-round pick. Because I think fans, if Jordan Addison is losing snaps to Josh Oliver, um, I don't think fans would love that, you know? Like, if the running game is not exquisite. So I think that that's an interesting co- like line to walk for this coaching staff. Right. And you have to look at it too. It's like, okay, are they using guys as much as I want? Yes or no. But the first question has to be, okay, but is the offense good? If the offense is top five, but they're not using Jordan Addison as much as you want, it's like, okay, they have figured out a formula that works. And when they do put Addison on the field, they're probably getting explosives out of that. If they're a top five offense or whatever, you have to look at that. I'll be curious to see, and I probably won't be able to tell if you're there, you'll be able to tell um, what, because at OTAs you're doing the staples. You're not, you know, you're, you're not putting in anything that you're not going to be willing to show preseason game week one. Um, not, you're, you're not installing the super special secrets or anything like that. Um, so what are the staples? It, are they going to do a whole bunch of outside zone? And it's like, okay, they're still an outside zone team. And maybe they're just kind of setting up for some subversions this off season. Or do they run a bunch of power? Like, do they have a bunch of pullers? Do they run counter where they've got a guard and, and Josh Oliver pulling? Um, you know, do, what what do they install and spend the most time on in OTAs will kind of tell you not only what their run game is probably intended to look like, but also what kind of play action are they trying to set up? Because if they run a lot of zone, that's a different kind of bootleg than the kind where you run power. It's going to be like, th- those are different play calls. Um I'll be really interested to see if, I mean, if I can tell from just what the Vikings post, but if you can tell too, from what you can actually see at OTAs. Allow me to caveat as well that last year word got out in stunning fashion, like, Oh, stop the presses that Dalvin cook was being used in the passing game. That was, that was reported obviously, because that's what you do at OTAs. Oh, Oh, Dalvin Cook caught some balls. This legitimately, this upset members of the Vikings coaching staff that this big secret leaked <laughs> out. That was upsetting to them. And that precipitated the request from the Vikings to withhold all video at training camp. Luke, you were there. You saw, probably saw the big notice on the scoreboard. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All that to say. No video recording. No video. Yeah. All that to say. We are definitely like we, not only are we not going to see their secrets, we may not even see their staples. They may have ultra paranoia about stuff that oh, they're boy. putting out there, especially with <laughs> new players <laughs> like Addison. You install and, something you're not going to oh, run at OTAs. Great way to put bring a rookie along. Yeah. Hey guys, guys, <laughs> please don't report on this. We're going to show a three tight end set. Oh God. Tight ends. Oh my goodness. Yeah, oh, my that's goodness. right. And what's really funny about that is that you got out there in week one and everybody was worried, oh my God, you just told the Packers. I remember I had YouTube comments because I was talking about, okay, this is the McVay offense. This is how it works. I was talking really broad strokes, mostly about the 2021 Rams. Here's what they did. I think they'll probably do something similar. And I had YouTube comments that were like, did you just let the Packers win? It's like, okay, if they need to watch a podcast to figure out what the Vikings are doing, they were doomed. And then it turned out <laughs> that they weren't prepared at all for what the Vikings were doing in that week one game. So it's like, apparently they didn't listen. Maybe they should have. Maybe they should have listened to all of the Vikings media stuff and gotten a couple more tips because that first game did not go great. <laughs> no, it didn't. I um 
I, I probably riled up the Vikings fan base most when when they were about to lose to the Lions in week three. And then this is before the comeback. <laughs> I tweeted, if only there hadn't been so many videos taken at Vikings training camp. <laughs> Uh, and uh, then I had to eat crow and the Vikings won a million games in a row. So, yeah. Um, oh yeah, we all had bad tweets in the middle of games. That's fair. It happens. You are, you are not to be held to account for what you tweeted when your team was down 33 to nothing in a nationally televised freezing game. Freezing <laughs> cold takes. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, hey, you know who's panicking today? Kane Wangwu. Do you know why he's panicking? Why? There is a proposal on the table to allow fair catches outside of the end zone on kickoffs. In other words, call a fair catch at the one and the ball gets advanced to the 25. Call a fair catch at the 20 yard line. The ball gets advanced to the 25. This is being voted on. That just kills the kickoff. It kills. Why would you ever take one out? If you think that your guy can house it. Um, I did some digging on this. Kane Wangwu has 53 career returns. Um, by my unofficial count, so if it's not exactly correct, it's close. 17 of his 53 returns have gotten past the 25. Um, so about one in three, he's going to improve your position. And then three of those, he took all the way. So really, the only reason to take it out is if you feel like you've got someone that can once or twice a season change a game and in doing so you're risking about like five yards of like maybe five yards of field position um you're risking injury it's kind of a it's a weird calculation i think but it's like if they offer you if you're on a blackjack table where they offer you the automatic 18 it's super boring but you might be better off to take it. And I think a lot of teams would look at the numbers and say, we're better off taking this 25-yard line. Um, and I think it would kill the kickoff. So are we are we kind of like sour on this? I don't love it. There's got to be a better way to save the kickoff than just basically wave the white flag. Yeah, that feels like you're just killing the kickoff. Like just, I don't know, make it a fourth and 15 or whatever, if you want to do the onside and then just like get rid of it and just give guys the, the ball on the 25. So I, I looked at this briefly and it feels like there's a ton of opposition to this, which tells me, I don't know what, what the, uh, if it has a uh, great odds to pass, but we'll see uh, the owner's meeting is today, right? Arif is um, Yeah, that's what that. Yeah. That's what, what Arif's doing. Um, Arif is picketing. Actually, he's outside the, like the <laughs> ballroom. He's save like, the kickoff save the kickoff save the kickoff yeah he's lobbying um I, I i should point out the the john boyce video from years and years ago that are kickoff that said kickoffs are boring and bad uh that essentially the point was that every kickoff return is like kind of only exciting because of the touchdown at the end of it but it's not like an exciting play where it's like they like kind of find a lane and go and that's kind of basically it Whereas punt returns can get super crazy and, you know, that you're running around and there's usually a cutback and stuff. Why don't just take the XFL kickoff, though? I don't, it's like, that's the whole point now. The, the, the NFL yeah. has like publicly acknowledged that the XFL is a, a testing ground for new rules. 
I don't think the XFL has, has had a single kickoff injury in a season and a half. Um, they and that rule is, and I vaguely know what it is. What yeah. is that rule for those of us who are? So, aren't if you think about like envision a kickoff in the NFL, everybody starts at the 35 or whatever and they run down. About how far away are they when the ball uh gets caught, and then when the um, yeah, about how far away are they when the ball gets caught? They're at I don't know. I think it's the 30, the plus 30. So what if we lined up everybody at the plus 30 instead and just had them not allowed to move until the ball is caught, which essentially simulates that, but without so much of a head of steam, it just takes the head of steam away, but everything else works the same. And then they also have it that if you don't get the kickoff to the 20 yard line, it comes out to the plus 40. Uh, and I believe the same thing happens on a touchback. So no kicking out of the end zone. We will have kickoffs. We'll have the excitement of a kickoff return. Uh, but we're going to take the head of steam out so that it's like significantly less dangerous. I think it has been a rousing success. It has accomplished all its goals. There's been more kickoffs. Oh, yeah. There's been exciting kickoffs and they've taken the injuries out of it. I don't know what the NFL, it's like, they don't want to, are they worried that it's not their idea? that it's not somebody that was on the competition committee and that they like, just take it from the XFL. That's what it's there for. I I love that. That is so much better. And uh, I hope Arif Hassan's picketing works because not only do I want to save Kane Wangwu's job, but uh, I also want a better alternative than a fair catch every time. I'm super curious as to the running back depth chart, to be honest. I think Wang might be yeah. higher on it than we're anticipating. He just didn't get in. So we're going, oh, okay, he's just a kickoff mm-hmm. specialist and they love Ty Chandler, but Ty Chandler didn't get in either. And at the end of games, when Dalvin Cook was hurt and Madison was benched, like at the end of the Cowboys game, because it was, uh, you know, deep fourth quarter blowout, Wang was the one getting the snaps. So I, Chandler I don't was know. inactive a lot, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he was the game. scratch. And yeah. And I guess that's, you know, you get in on special teams and you get uh, uh, and you get to dress. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was the, the case. But I'm, I'm curious to see how the running backs line up to yeah. to begin things here. I think that will fluctuate so. a lot. Mm-hmm. Somebody will get hot in the preseason and then that'll be the guy that gets the RB2 job. Um, but I'm curious to see the, what like pole position is. Yeah, this is probably my favorite running back offseason in a while, legitimately. And I'm least excited about the number one guy. I am much more excited about two, three, and four, because for the first time in how long ever, I actually think that two, three, and four might do something. Like it's always been. Okay. Who's to say one of them doesn't have a hot hand. And then like, it's November and we're going, is this guy actually the starter now? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like it's, there's always been an unbenchable number one workhorse back. It went from Adrian to Dalvin directly and a coaching staff that valued Dalvin a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's been a long time since we had this kind of like mystery around the running back position. And I love it. I'm here for it. Uh, rapid fire to end the show. After I remind you that uh, Sirius XM new partner with lockdown sports, Minnesota find all of our programming on the SXM app, as well as the local hometown broadcast twins play tonight, hosting the giants at 6 40 PM. They're back home trying to build a winning streak up. You can hear the hometown broadcast on the SXM app search twins. ESPN compiled the biggest question marks for every quarterback in the league. Luke Braun, 
I'm going to ask you their questions about the NFC North quarterbacks. I want quick answers, gut reactions. Are you ready? Yep. It, I'll, I'll save Cousins for last. Is Jared Goff good enough to lead the Lions to playoff success? No, he can't play on the road. <laughs> Better Fair be the enough. one seed. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say yes. He reached the Super Bowl before, um, and this offense is great for him. And if you look at his peak, 2017 road 18, win. <laughs> 60 touchdowns, 19 picks over two seasons, only 5% sack rate, 64%. I, 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 just, I think he has it in him. I think he can. Uh, Jordan Love, is he ready? Boy, that's a good question. Uh, I have no earthly idea. They simplified the offense for him a lot when he came in against the Eagles, but that's kind of what you do with backups anyway, so that might just be normal. I guess that hints us toward no, but it's like 55-45. I legit have no idea. No, the answer is he better be ready. <laughs> True. <laughs> Otherwise, they're screwed. <laughs> he is a first-round pick who had yeah. three years to percolate yeah. behind a Hall of Fame quarterback. And I know that Nathaniel Hackett sucked as a head coach, but elite offensive coaching between Hackett and Mc, um, uh What's his LaFleur. name? <laughs> I was going to say McDaniels and then McVay LaFleur. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they all blend together. All these Shanahan McVeigh guys. I, I know. I, yeah. All handsome. <laughs> yeah. He all, better all be ready. Well-groomed. Yeah. Yeah. Great goatees. Uh, yeah. he better be ready after that. If he's not, yeah, the Packers are going to be in major, uh, dire straits. Uh, did the bears do enough to improve the group around Justin Fields? No, and I, I think if they could speak directly to their fans, honestly, they would probably say don't expect it to. I, I had a conversation with Lauren Cox on Lockdown NFL a couple weeks ago about this exact thing, and mm -hmm. it was before free agency and before the draft, and I was asking, like, what are you going to do with all that cap space? And he was basically saying, like, Bears fans think we're going to build a contender with all this cap space. We're not doing that. We're going to get, you know, we, we were always going to get, one big guy that's Tremaine Edmonds on the defense and a bunch of role players and stuff. This was always going to be like a long-term rebuild. Um, I, I don't think the bears are going to be serious contenders within the bounds of Justin Fields' rookie contract, which at this point there's only two years left of it. So it's not even that hot a take. Um, and I don't think that they're expecting to be. Yeah. I, I, th I think the answer is no. I think they improved the group around Justin Fields. Did they improve it enough? Yeah. No, um, Claypool is not really a wide receiver. One DJ Moore is a great piece. Um, I think He's that was a wideout one. Yeah, that that was a great that was a great acquisition. Um, I think yeah. The question to me is like, is Justin Fields so special as a runner that it sort of nullifies the need for a phenomenal supporting cast? Um, because that offensive line did like add a big draft pick, and I think I think a, another guard as well. So they might be able to protect Roman. lean in then. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they did enough. I think they, they took a step and they are like one and a half years behind where the lions are right now. Like, I think they're, they're on the lions. They're in the long play like Detroit, but they're not, they're not at that curve. Um, all right. We conclude with uh, the question of the century. How much longer for Kirk cousins in Minnesota and what's next for the Vikings. And I'll start with this one, Luke. There's suddenly the, the, all this momentum so it seems like a leak that 
well, hold on now. The Vikings don't really have a plan for next year. Kirk Cousins could be back. Yeah, everybody's That's- realizing, whoa, they don't have yeah. another contract. Stunning. <laughs> um, okay, so and you can answer the question. How much longer for Kirk? Boy, what, do you think Quasi woke up one day and logged on to overthecap.com and went, oh my God, we don't have a quarterback. Oh, oh God, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Just panicking like you're late for class. No, come on. They've got a they've got a plan, but it's not a singular. You don't want them to have a singular plan. You want them to have, you know, plans on plans, right? Like like uh Kevin O'Connell said in the draft. We got plans on plans on plans. Um it was in the draft video. This is what I've been saying all offseason, and I still firmly believe that uh this is the plan. I think that they would love to get a year on uh on Cousins's contract because I think they don't want to go into the 2024 20, draft without a QB. They don't want to have the need be that dire, right? Quasi's talked about flexibility and all that stuff that takes flexibility away. They want that security. Um, I don't know if Cousins is on the same page there. So we'll see if something gets done. I don't know if anything is going to get done or not. Um, they're open to a longer extension. I think that could also be the case. We get a three-year deal or something like that. Um, that could be the case. That's not something that the Vikings have like said as a non-starter. But again, if we're going to go with the uh, the Ben Gessling report, which I, I am perfectly comfortable with, uh, that they that Cousins offered a two-year extension, 2024 and 2025, but it was fully guaranteed. And the fully guaranteedness of 2025 was a problem, and the Vikings said no. If we're to if we're gonna go with that report, and I'm gonna go with that report, that kind of tells me okay, there might be an issue here that prevents a deal from getting done. So I think yeah, we'll they'll try, right? They're gonna try. They're trying with Daniel Hunter. They're, they're they might even try again with Dalvin Cook. Who knows? Um, but I think if I were to guess, I would guess that Kirk Cousins has one more year in Minnesota, maybe two. But that would be a pretty loose guess. Yeah. The more I dwell on it, the more I think I agree with you. I mean, the the national writers, whether they're informed or not, are extremely quick to dismiss Jaron Hall as any sort of threat. And I think I agree. Like he's a fifth round pick. Yeah, you're never as gonna fun. Yeah, that. as fun as he's going to be in preseason. Have to prove something to yeah. They're not yeah, they're they're not giving him the keys to the castle in 2024. He would probably have to compete with a bridge quarterback that is uninspiring. Um, and then you're really accepting a mediocre season. I, I I think the there is definitely a chance there there is something on the table for Kirk to be back here. Uh, that that dead cap of twenty eight million dollars just screams that there's there's more at play here. There are there've been conversations about what the plan is with Kirk, um, and maybe it's sort of conditional. Like, hey, Kirk, you prove it again. We'll we'll, we'll come back to the table and we'll talk about this. I will say on that 28 million, I think I've never seen a team do this. So I don't know if maybe there's a rule I don't know about, but I believe if you, we've never seen these huge dead cap hits and stuff. I believe if you wanted to, you could sign Kirk cousins to a fake contract extension and then cut that contract extension post to June one. You can say, okay, we're going to pay you, you know, 30 million all unguaranteed. And then we're going to cut that contract post June as like a procedural thing and split that dead cap up a little bit more. That might help that. Um, but if you didn't want to 
kick that can down the road. The Vikings are sitting on like 40 million after the Zadarius trade. They're sitting on like over $40 million in cap space for 2024. We'll see how much is left after all the extensions that they have to do. But that does already earmark 19 million toward uh, Justin Jefferson, that number, Mm. because it's already counting his fifth year option when, when it was picked up. Um, so I, I don't know if that 28 mil is that much of a non-starter. I think it's a solvable thing. It might not even be that much of a thing. Um, when they signed cousins to his extension, like right when Quasi got here, that to me was like, okay, that is a feasible contract for him to play out and walk. And they have given themselves the option to just let Kirk cousins play out and walk. They don't have, you know, we, we we were coming off of that $45 million a year where we're going, oh my God, what are we going to do about that? It's like, okay, it's clear that they're going to extend him after that. That that was obviously they're going to, that, mm-hmm. that means we're going to go back to the table, right? But this time it wasn't so clear. And hey, maybe we'll just restructure it, get the cap hit down, and we'll take some more dead cap next year. Um, Yeah, that... And, and that dead cap, it, it does seem manageable but only if you have a, a your quarterback is on a rookie deal. Like if you are bringing in well, a bridge, isn't that an then, interesting hint? <laughs> and then yeah, it could, it, what if you're paying twenty million for one year to a guy to get you to the next phase? Well, then you're invested fifty million in the quarterback position. Which what guy would gosh, that be? That's irresponsible. Like, Say who, that again. The, what guy would that be? Teddy, always Teddy, <laughs> always. Hey, you can have Teddy right now. He's still out there. That's wild to me. Um, yeah. But yeah, that, uh, that is very interesting. Tannehill very would be the guy if we wanted to just mm. like have a different name on the exact same <laughs> nonsense. There you go. Um, good show, Luke Braun. Arif Hassan will, I'm sure, have juicy nuggets for us from the owners' meetings on Thursday's show. Luke Inman back for the draft show tomorrow. I don't know what we're going to talk about. Maybe 2024 stuff. And uh, plenty of programming coming up on the Minnesota football party this week. He's Luke Braun. He's at Luke Braun NFL. Follow that Twitter account for intense Zapruder film-like analysis of all OTA videos and footage. You can follow my Twitter, at Sam Ekstrom, for some tweets from practice on Tuesday and press conferences on Wednesday as well. Back tomorrow on the football party on Locked on Sports Minnesota. Thanks, Luke. And uh, we'll talk to you later in the week. 